Well, this is your first time to hear me. We've had two weeks of hearing Mario and getting us off on a great start. And this morning, we're going to be looking at our third lesson, Meeting with God in His Word. And this morning's lesson, as you see in your handout, is reading, meditation, and memorization. So reading the Word, meditating on the Word, and memorizing the Word. Now, if you remember, it was last week, wasn't it, Brother Mario? That you were sharing a little bit of how you, yeah, yeah. So last week, Mario started us off with a little bit of, uh, of an insight into how he was brought up in a Christian home. His father became a pastor pretty much at an early age for, for Mario. And so Mario had a Christian upbringing, and we heard how that was received by him in his home. The Word of God was treasured. It was expounded, it was meditated upon, and wow, that is a great privilege. Not everybody has that privilege. Probably we've heard from time to time a little bit of Pastor Brad's uh, beginning, not a Christian background, somewhat of a religious background, but not a Christian background, and then you're going to have people who would be a little bit more in my category. And in my category, it was a non-religious, non-Christian upbringing. And I, I know some of you I'm just now meeting for the first time this morning. Others of you know me for, have known me for a while, and, but even y'all may not know my story all the way. Um, now, this will be a surpriser to some of you. I'm an immigrant. I actually was born in Germany. My mom's German. My dad was a U.S. soldier, and he was in Germany, and that's how they met. But just to give you a bit of perspective on why it is that I grew up in a non-Christian home, a non-religious home, think about this. My mom was born in 1933 in Germany. And for you people who know something about history, you have a pretty good idea who the the leader of the country was at that time. Adolf Hitler. Yeah, and we know what he did. The city that I was born in, Karlsruhe, southwest Germany, very close to the French border, was pretty significantly bombed. My mom told me the story that her and her mom were on their way to visit one of, their, uh, one of my grandmother's friends. And for some reason, they got delayed and never even got there. And this was in the morning. By the afternoon, they finally got their act together, and they're on their way to visit this friend. And when they got to the friend, they found out that the apartment had been bombed and was on the ground, and my grandmother's friend was dead. Had my mom and my grandmother been on time that morning, I would not be standing here. So you can understand a little bit of why my mom would have been a non-religious person. If you grow up in that kind of a setting, you might really have a hard time believing there is a God. Now my dad also didn't grow up in a Christian home. His father, not sure if he would have been an atheist, but he was certainly an agnostic. And back in the early 1900s, you had a lot of people that were doing some very heavy speculating about the Bible, about when Jesus would return. And they had people all over the place that would say it set a date. And that date would come and go, 
And the outworking for my grandfather was as well, look at this. They're talking all the time about Jesus who's going to come and he never shows up. And out of that, he said there can't be a God. And that was passed down to my dad and it was passed down to me. So that's my upbringing. What changed? Well, as it was a non-Christian background, as it was a non-religious background, I would say still in all it was somewhat of a moral upbringing. But I rejected that. What's the point? It doesn't look like any of this is happening. It's nothing good. Nothing's really happening that satisfies me. And I rejected all of that. And I got in, as a young guy, I got in with the wrong crowd. I then got in trouble with the law. And there I was, 22 years old, standing in front of a judge. Or excuse me, I was 19 standing in front of a judge. Three years later, 22, there was something called the I Found It campaign. And some people reached out to me, and I'm, I'm a complete know-nothing. And they reached out, and it was a phone campaign back then, and they said, hey, is Mrs. So-and-so here? Uh, no, no, that lady's already passed away, and I'm renting from her son, and he's left the phone in her name so that I don't have to pay a phone charge or a phone bill. Oh, I didn't get messed up with any of that stuff. I said, oh, can I ask you a question? I guess so. What do you think about Jesus Christ? So I've already told you what my background was, and I had no clue. What do I think about Jesus? You could ask me, what do I think about the man in the moon? I can give you an answer about that, but I have no idea about Jesus. And so that's where I came from. But God in his mercy saved me. He saved me. And so last week as we began, Mario took us down the road of three assumptions. There is a God. God has revealed himself. God wants us to know him. And depending upon where you start, those three assumptions very easily could be massively debated. And for me, it would have been more like three things up for debate. Or three things vigorously disputed. Thankfully, God saved me and I became a new Christian. But as a new Christian, I can tell you what, I was absolutely a blank slate. I'm going to tell you what happened. I start going to this church. And one day, the teacher called on me to read a scripture. I read the scripture. It was John 15, 5 where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The teacher asked me to read that. So I read that scripture, and then he asked me this question. Who is the vine? And I looked at him and I was like, do you think I'm an ignoramus? I just read it. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Well, this was Florida, and they may never have heard the Texas expression that that boy was all lead up with dumb, but they certainly understood it when I said that. You talk about clueless. But when you don't have a Christian upbringing, when you're not in a church, when you come in as a blank slate, that's really where you can start. And from there, God called me to the mission field. Can you believe that? This guy that knew nothing 
God calls him to the mission field. And so I went to, uh, I was in Florida, West Palm Beach. That's where, I, that's where God saved me. And I went up to Northeast Georgia to Coa Falls College to begin to prepare for the mission field. And I can remember one day after class, I was walking up the hill with Dr. Clark. And I grew up completely as a non-Christian in our introductory science class. Evolution was not taught as a theory. It was taught as a fact. And I just, man, that's got to be the way it is. And I'm trying, I'm wrestling with that as somebody who's a new Christian. And I'm saying, Dr. Clark, I really want to believe what the Bible tells, but you know, help me here. And as he walked back up to his office in between classes, he didn't have a class that next time, he just talked to me and kind of helped me to understand how these things were. And he helped me a lot. But that's who I was back then, a blank slate, had no idea. And from there, uh, I went out to Simon Greenleaf School of Law, which was a Christian law school, but they also offered a Master of Arts in Apologetics. So then uh, I was able to start to get trained a little bit with the idea that I would be heading to Austria, subsequently got married, and then my wife and our, and our son, we were in Austria from 92 to 2004. So I went all the way from a complete know-nothing to having served on the mission field. And now here I am at this late stage. And I have long since moved past assumptions to what I would like to preferably call three biblical convictions. Three biblical convictions. There is a God. He has revealed himself. God wants us to know him. And so with that kind of as an introduction, I want to read a scripture, and this is Romans 9, and then we'll actually get into the lesson here this morning. So Romans chapter 9, verse 25 says this, As indeed he says, he, God, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And so we go from some different sort of a background. Um, there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And he himself has said, I am the, truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. But there are thousands of ways to get to Jesus. And every one of us would have a different way to how God revealed himself through his son. Mario and I's stories are different. Probably yours is different from mine, and it would be that way all through here. But we find Jesus because God the Holy Spirit is drawing us, and we have that beginning point. And now, maybe, we're a little bit more ready to get into this whole idea of Bible intake as a spiritual discipline. And before we now launch into that, let's have a word of prayer, please. Father, uh, all of our stories in here would be different stories, but the same thing is true, hopefully, of every last one of us. Lord, that you have drawn us to yourself. And as we read now in Romans, Paul quoting from the prophet Hosea, we who were not your people are now your people. And as that, Lord, we want to know you better. And so help us this morning as we begin to think on reading the word and 
meditating on the word and memorizing the word. And so we ask God for your blessing and your leadership and your guidance in this time through your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Mario led us in the first of two weeks on the spiritual discipline of Bible intake. And one of the first verses that we considered was, the, and you'll see it in the handout, is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And so that I don't misquote it slightly, let me read it exactly. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? Teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. To what purpose? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And how do we do that? How do we go from we don't even know very much about the, uh, the Bible to the fact that we are ready and in a position to help other people and to help our own selves? Well, we want to esteem the Word of God. Psalm 119, we spent a fair amount of time in that last week as well. It's the longest chapter in the Bible at 176 verses. And there was a time that I rather meticulously went through every one of those verses, and with the exception, by my count, of only five verses, every other verse in that entire long chapter has a reference to the Word of God. Maybe under the heading of law or testimonies, or precepts, or statutes, or commandments, or rules. God's Word, by different names, but meaning the same thing, that's what we're to meditate on. Now Mario brought to our attention six means of Bible intake and led us in considering the first three means of hearing the Word, studying the Word, and talking about the Word. And so this morning we're going to move on to the next three, which are reading the Word, meditating on the Word, and memorizing the Word. So we want to begin by reading the Word. And I want to pull back just for a second and think to how it was back at the time of the Reformation. Reformation in Europe, and you have a lot of European peoples. You have French people, German people, Italian people, some Spanish people, You've got people from all over Europe speaking different languages, and guess what is consistent among all of these different European groups? There was very little access to the Word of God. And for the most part, if you were going to read the Word of God, you had to do it in Latin. Most of those people would not have had any ability to read in the Greek or the original Hebrew, but there was a Latin translation that was fairly widespread, but even most quote-unquote normal people like us, we probably wouldn't have read it Latin. And so that meant that only an elite grouping of people had access to read the Word. And then they, in turn, were the people who were to train everybody else. And there wasn't a whole lot of good training going on. And you had a lot of European peoples that were waiting for the Word of God in their own language. And so Martin Luther way back when, and today we call that the Luther Bible. What? The Luther Bible. See, I'm, I speak German, so I'm going I'm to speak it in German. And I'll give you a quick heads up. There's going to be a little bit more German to come through here. Uh, but then there was William Tyndale. And you had different ones, and they were translating into 
the language of the people. And think about that. So when we think about reading the Word of God, we, do, we want to get it into our minds that this is a high privilege to have this Bible in our language. And, and yet, there was a George Barna group poll some years ago. I don't know the statistics are any better. And it said this, 18% of those polled read the Bible every day. 18 do you know what that means? 82% don't. 82% of the people don't really read the Bible every day. And so if we don't, how are we going to know who God is? How are we going to know what He wants from us or expects from us? And today, there are many peoples that are still waiting for the Bible in their own language. You hear uh, ministries like Wycliffe Bible Translators. Uh, you know, Summer Institute of Linguistics, and there are people who go in and they take a, a, a language that's never even been reduced to writing and they begin to bring it into writing. And can you imagine those people? Uh, I've read a couple of different accounts of some of these people who've never had the Bible in their own language, and then there's that day when the new Bibles are introduced. Brothers and sisters, do you realize what they think of that? God speaks my language. And all of a sudden, they want to know Him. And I hope and pray that that convicts us a little bit. How many Bibles do you have at home? I actually have quite a few. I actually have Bibles in two different languages. And I read them fairly frequently. But there have been, and I'm going to be very honest with you, there have been periods where that isn't really true of me. Reading the Word of God. Now, I told you I was going to drop some German in on you, so here I'm going to. I want us to realize what a treasure we have in the written Word of God. And back in the 1400s, there was a German pietist by the name of Albrecht Bengel. And this is what he said. Die Bibel, ein Brief von meinem Gott an mich geschrieben, wonach ich mich richten soll, wonach mein Gott mich richten wird. What do you think of that? Oh, oh, wait a minute. You don't know what I just said? The guy wrote in German. He didn't write in English. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll cut you some slack. He said, the Bible is a letter written from God to me whereby I ought to orientate my life and whereby one day he's going to judge me. Wow. And do you hear what he's saying? Way back when, this German pietist had a submissiveness to God's Word. And I pray that that kind of submissiveness to God's Word, that kind of valuing of God's Word, would more and more be our take on things as well. I'm praying that we would all have a God-honoring view and appreciation for His Word. Why should we do that? Well, the first thing, and you'll see this in the handout, Jesus teaches the importance of reading God's Word. He starts out in some of his conversations, have you not read? And we need to be fair here at this point. They didn't have Bibles like we do today. 
That wasn't like they were walking around with a pocket New Testament or any of that. They didn't have those things. Nonetheless, he still asked them, have you not read Matthew 19.4 and Mark 12.10? Matthew 4.4 asked the same question. So not only did Jesus teach the importance of reading God's Word, moving along, the apostles also taught the importance of reading God's Word. We've already heard the Apostle Paul's testimony in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 that I began with. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2, and we're going to hear Peter's stance on the Word of God. 2 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. So we could say, okay, well, that was just Paul. But we're going to hear Peter. 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2. What's that? Uh, okay. Okay. Second uh, Peter three, verses one and two. Hey, good to have you all with us. I would say something in Spanish, but it would probably come out in German. <laughs> Alberto and Katie, here's which willkommen by uns, which means a heartfelt welcome here. So 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2, this is what Peter's writing. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. And you hear something of Peter's devotion to God's word. And now we would say, okay, that's Peter and that's Paul, so, okay, toss those two aside. But if we keep on going to the book of Revelation, now we're going to get the Apostle John. And this is what he says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now, you could shrink all of that down to say he's talking specifically about the book of Revelation being read aloud. But I think there's a general principle there of we ought to be reading the Word of God and hearing it. Now, the question then becomes how or what to read. And we have Bible reading plans. The one that I discovered last year was my first time finding this one. It's called Five Day uh, a week reading plan and so from Monday through Friday you have passages of Scripture they give you the weekend to either not read or to catch up if you miss and so you're reading several chapters in the Old Testament and some in the New and in the course of that calendar year you're going to read all the way through the Scriptures and so you're going to hear some days wow I'm not real sure what to do with that and other days you're going to be just blown away why on that particular day, you read something and it speaks exactly to your life situation. God speaks. There may be other times that for particular books, you, you'll read through a particular book for a, a different season of life. I can remember one year I decided I was just going to focus on the minor prophets. And the reason I did that was because I really didn't know very much about what was in the minor prophets. 
And then there are other times that I thought, I'm gonna, I want to immerse myself in the book of Romans for quite a little while. That's Paul's magnus opus. His, his, the highest of the high in theological thought. At the very least, we want to read at least, and you hear Pastor Brad and others talk about this, read the sermon texts so that we're better prepared for the Lord's Day. And so, hear what I'm saying here. Reading the Word of God, that's our beginning point. That's not where we end up. That's our beginning point. And now I want to move us along to meditating on the Word. Now, you're going to see, I think it should be in your, I don't actually have a handout here, but I think there's this quote from James Earl Massey in your handouts. Is that correct? Yeah, okay. So, I thought this was a great definition of meditation because we do know that other groups and other peoples talk about meditation from time to time. But Christian meditation is very specific. Meditation is more than thinking about God. It is thinking in the presence of God. It is thinking with God. It is the deliberate exercise of human will done with a spirit of humble receptiveness. And so here again, you hear somewhere in there, I think you hear the submissive spirit that we are to have as we come to the Word. And now I want to back up to what Albrecht Bengel said a long, long time ago. And what I hear James Earl Massey saying here as well. And then to put it out here that that's not how we, that's not how everybody thinks about the Word of God. I'm going to ask a question, and I really was going to, I, I intended to ask a question and open it up for questions uh, after my first point, and I went blowing right past that, I'm sorry, but right here, does everybody have the same opinion of the Word of God as we do? I mean, the people that you interact with in your world, uh, as you interact with them, where, where, what do they think about God's Word? Or do they even think about it? Sometimes they don't think about it. Mm -hmm. It's just a book. Yeah. It's stories. Stories. Yeah. Something all that was written a long ago doesn't fit to our yeah. life now. Many times yeah. say that to me. Yeah. Ketty, that, that's actually, I don't know if you heard what Ketty said, but Ketty said it was a book written long ago, and it doesn't really seem to have a whole lot to do with what we believe today. It doesn't have a whole lot to do with our lives today. I would venture to say there are a lot of people in that book. And so when God impresses upon us the importance of reading his word and then meditating on his word, he's already given us a great big gift. He's told us what really matters. I mean, we get plenty of opinion in the world about what matters. And sometimes it's important stuff, and other times it's, uh, really? <laughs> you th that, that's what your life is all about? Wow. And it's like, that's, I would say in the first place it's sad, but, but sometimes I might even go so far as to say that's pathetic. And yet, the truth of the matter be known, if you'd have talked to me between 17 and 22, I'd come right back to what I already said once. That boy is all lead up with dumb. That guy doesn't even have a clue what's going on in the world. 
And so be honest. Maybe that's where you were too. And if that's where you were, have some compassion on the fact that maybe some people are still there. And if that gives us what? That gives a heart of compassion for people. So we don't judge people because they don't understand that, but we come alongside them and say, you know what? There, but for the grace of God, that's exactly where I'd be. I'd be right where you're at. And so that will help them. If we come across like, Casey, how did you get to be so dumb? But if I come along time and says, Casey, man, that's exactly where I was at. That's exactly where I was at. And that gives him an ability to trust me a little bit because I've come along on the first take, I busted him across the chops. And that's kind of bold on my part because he's, big, he's bigger than me. Even We're neither one of us very big guys. But, uh, but in the second case, I'm trying to empathize with him. I'm trying to say to him, man, we're in the same boat. So I'm not coming down on you, Casey, but rather this is where we're at and we're stuck there together. And so we can help people. There's a submissiveness that we want to have. And this is the thing that Albrecht Bengel said in his quote that you guys didn't understand until I translated. Um, we don't judge or condemn or call into question God's Word. Rather, God's Word judges, it guides, and it informs us. You know, you might have heard some years ago the famous writer C.S. Lewis. And this is actually where Christian Dennett could probably explain this better than me. But he wrote a very famous essay called God in the Dock. And for Americans, we'd probably think, God in the Dock? I mean he's on a boat docking up? What's that all mean? But a dock in that terminology at that time had something to do with law. Well, and it's like he was in the dock, which was where the defendant was supposed to sit. And the problem with that is that modern man puts God on the defendant's chair. Yeah. And it's not that way. God needs to explain himself. Yeah, that's exactly right, Amber. Yeah. So we oftentimes, God's got to explain himself. Uh, guess what? Uh, no, he doesn't. We actually probably have to explain our own selves. And so we want to come with a submissive attitude. And that helps us as we begin this process of meditating on the Word. So if we've already seen now the importance of meditation, what do we meditate upon in God's Word? What is it that we're supposed to see? You know, so if I go through a five-day reading plan, and I'm reading through Scripture in the course of a calendar year, what am I focusing on as I come to each passage? Well, the first thing that Donald Whitney brings out in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, we want to see what God's Word says about itself. And so that's a good place. Um, if I could have somebody to look up Joshua 1.8, And, uh, and so if, you, if I've got a volunteer there, how about a second volunteer for Psalm uh, chapter 1, verse 2? A third volunteer for Psalm 119, verse 15? And then a fourth volunteer for Proverbs 3, 5 and 6.
So give me a chance as well to get to Joshua 1.8. I just opened up Okay, good. You got that one. Great. So there we go. All right, so did somebody grab Joshua 1.8? All right, Lee? Yes, please. What about that? It's referred to as what? The book of the law. So it also tells us we should meditate upon it. How often? Every great once in a while? Uh, excuse me, say that again? Day and night. That doesn't sound like every once in a while. That sounds like pretty regularly. Uh, Joshua 1.8, so that's in the Old Testament all the way. Uh, it's the first book after the five books of Moses. So we meditate upon it. Is that part of the Pentateuch? Yes, there we go. Five books of Moses, also called the Pentateuch. So Joshua tells us, meditate on the Word of God day and night to what end? So that we know God, but so that we make our way prosperous and have good success. So this seems to be saying that if we don't do that, we're not going to really know how to prosper and have success in this life. Now we're going to go over to Psalm chapter 1. And I, and I said verse 2, but, but how about if we, by way of contrast, read verses 1 and 2. So whoever had Psalm 1, uh, okay, Mike? So, we have a contrast here of two different types of people. Who are they? The Say it again. The okay, and there's another group of people that are me mentioned, in, and that's why I wanted us to read verse 1. Who are scoffers. scoffers, or maybe wicked? So, are those who just blow off God's word? <laughs> who has any time for that? Come on, let's get real. Really? What's their end? <laughs> not a very good one. Look what it says in verse 5. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For, and then verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will what? Perish. So the, the Word of God is very plain on this point. You know, the worst thing that we can do is to withhold good news to people who don't know it. And a lot of people, the vast majority of people in my family are not Christians. And I had to tell my mom one time, Mom, if I did not love you, I wouldn't tell you. And she had a hard time with hearing it because I've already told you how my mom grew up. I mean, honestly, I have to be fair to her. Had I grown up under Hitler in World War II, maybe I wouldn't believe any of this either. But a loving word is to tell the truth. And a loving word to tell the truth risks hurting people's feelings. But if you don't risk that, what does that say about who you think they are? 
That's exactly right. I like what you said. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? If we don't tell people the truth, basically we're saying, I'm fine with you going to hell. And that really would be a major offense. And I think even, it might have actually even been John Mark one time that told me uh, about somebody who was a rather well-known atheist, and he actually came out, and I think this, you probably could Google it and find it on YouTube, and essentially what he said, if you don't tell me what you consider to be the truth, that's a very unloving thing. And he wasn't somebody who was a Christian. He actually was completely on the other side. But he said, if you don't tell me what you consider to be the truth, then you really don't love me. And I thought that was a pretty good point. And so when we interact with people who don't share our worldview, we want to do it respectfully. We want to be considerate. We want to be loving. We want to tell them the truth. And when we don't do those things, that's not good. Because we have read the end of the story. And we do know what Psalm 1 says here at the end. The wicked are going to perish. Now what about Psalm 119? Amber, you said you had Psalm 119 verse 15. Yeah. So again and again, you hear that word meditate. Spend time in His presence. Spend time with God. Spend time listening to God. And then uh, there was one other person who was going to read for us Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Go ahead. Yeah. So we don't lean on our own understanding. And unfortunately, that's where non-Christians are. That's where I was at. I, you know, hey, I didn't understand any of these things. And so I just did what I thought was the best way to get through life. And it didn't work out very good. And it was stumbling face down into the mud that finally woke me up. And it was my sister. And she was interacting with me after I'd already done a face plant in the mud and got in trouble with the law and all of those different things. And she asked me one time, she said, or she didn't ask me, she told me. <laughs> kind of dangerous for a younger sister to tell the older brother, but she did. And she shared with me, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And guess what? I was pretty offended by that. Wow, where do you get off thinking you can tell me that? But guess what? There was a day that God opened up these dumb ears and took off the blinders. And back then, I always had to wear glasses because I'm legally blind without them. But I've got cataract surgery now, so I can see a lot better. So now it's a privilege not to wear these things. But I was blind. And I had a heart of stone. And God pulled it out and gave me a heart of flesh. And I go back and I tell my sister, and she's heard me use this illustration sometimes in some sermons that I've preached, and she's actually been humbled by that, that, something that she said way back when. And at that point in time, my sister would have been very clear to have told you that she didn't think of herself as a very good witness for Christ. 
God has a whole lot different opinion of it. I have a whole lot different opinion of it than she did back then. And I think now she's really appreciated a lot more that bold, that little bit of boldness that God gave her. We don't know where people are at. We don't know how they're going to receive us. But if we will be bold, and that doesn't mean screaming and yelling and jumping it up and down in somebody's face. It could be just saying a word softly. But if it's the Word of God, wow, wow. And the goal is to gain wisdom. How do I live in a way that honors and glorifies God? Now, I've been interacting a lot with how non-Christians think. But for us as Christians, and I'm guessing that's most everybody in here, but maybe not everybody, how do we, what do we do when we come to God's Word? Well, when you're in the Psalms and in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, that's what we call wisdom literature. And one of your main things that you're really probably looking for is wisdom for how to live life. And I was interacting with uh, Caleb here a little bit earlier this morning. Uh, I grew up back in the 70s, and I, and I like guys that uh, have more of a heavy, you know, music with an edge, uh, blues sound. And one of the guys, and he's a Christian, but he was asked one time, why do you play the blues? And his response to that, he says, have you never read Psalms? And somebody has said here recently that about a third of the Psalms are lament. And all that tells you is that life is hard. And if we have no ability how to interact with life when it's hard, well, God's Word tells us. And God's Word gives us plenty of help in that. Because all you have to do is read, particularly in the Psalms and Proverbs. But look at the history of Israel. Look at some of the letters, and we've been going through First and Second Corinthians and preaching, from, and we hear from Pastor Brad, and you think of those Christ, uh, Christians that were in Corinth, and sometimes it's a laundry list of everything that they have broken in the way of the Ten Commandments, and yet it says in First Corinthians 6, and, and such were some, were some of you. And so that tells you that you don't have to go just to the Bible, just look at the news at night, look at the internet. Look at the commentary that you hear in the world. We live in a broken and a messed up world. And as Christian people, we want to be able to have an answer for some of the things that people are experiencing. And if we don't have anything better than what they know, we're not going to offer them a lot. But if we regularly meditate on the Word of God, and so here we've been talking about we go to the Word of God itself, but we also look to God's works. And that's our next moving point here. And so here we're going to again have uh, uh, two verses. This time I'm, uh, we'll ask another person to read Psalm 77 and verse 12. And a second person, please, Psalm 119 and verse 27. So first of all, Psalm 77 and verse 12. And here we're going to see something else that we want to be meditating upon when we come to God's Word. So whoever had that first verse, please. Uh, Casey? I will ponder all your words and meditate on your mighty deeds. Okay. And who is the your? God. God. So, we might just say it this way. I will ponder all God's work and meditate on God's mighty deeds. 
So if all I ever did was watch the news, read articles in the internet, listen to social media, people rant and all of that, what do you think my worldview would be? Bad. Say it again, Amber. A bad one. A bad one. Anybody else? Be kind of pessimistic, wouldn't it? Because that's all you hear is bad stocks, and it's yeah. always going on with bad crap. Yeah. You know, I, I, I used to notice when there was a point when we, we would watch the news pretty regularly, and then we pretty much got rid of all of that and didn't do it anymore, had other issues to work through. But I used to watch the 30-minute nightly news, and you could get... 29 and a half minutes of bad news and at the last 30 seconds they'd give you something to smile about. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that a pathetic ratio? <laughs> 29 and a half minutes bad news to 30 seconds of something that you could at least smile about. Yeah. If all you ever did was do that, you'd have a very pessimistic worldview. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 27. I've got that. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Okay, so precepts and works. That's two different ways of looking to the Word of God. Precepts are what God tells us in His Word. And what was the second word again? Works, right? Yeah, wonders. 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 Yeah, wondrous works. Wonders. Yeah. Not just plain works, but wondrous. Yeah, wondrous works. So we think about what God's done. And when we go into His Word, what do we find out? This broken world, He didn't just leave it there, did He? He's there to see the Son, Jesus Christ. Yes, that's exactly right. He did something about it. He did something very significant about our broken world. Is He sent His only begotten Son into the world. He sent Him to the cross so that people like us, who were rebels and enemies could be made into his people. And Psalm 22, if you're familiar with that, is a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that tells us quite a little bit about the Messiah who would come. And he's going to go to the cross as our substitute. And some of the wording there in Psalm 22, you can actually see it be copied over into the Gospels. Casting lots for his garments. Thirsty, give him something to drink. And so Psalm 22 portrays in advance what we see in the Gospels. The purpose of our meditation here now goes beyond merely gaining wisdom. Our upgraded goal is not just to gain more head knowledge, but now to worship. When we start thinking about all that God has done, God becomes big and we become appropriately small. And we are brought to the place now where we worship. We would be able to some degree gain wisdom from other sources. You know, today we have Wikipedia. There are other religious books. So you can gain wisdom in some other different places. But if you want to know who God is, the real one true God... You have to come to this, God's Word. And He tells you who He is. And so we gain a right understanding of our great God. One last thing here as we to fill in a little bit more of the picture of what we meditate upon. 
God's attributes. So Psalm 63 verse 6 tells us that we are to meditate on you. And in that passage of Scripture, it's very plain that you is God. Psalm 145 verse 5. Psalm 145 and verse 5. Oh, or rather on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. So think about that. On the glorious splendor of your majesty. Now, so we meditate on God's Word. We meditate on His works and we meditate on His person and His attributes. And so this begins to lift our minds and our focus off of this world and bring them up to where we need to be. God gives us great hope. He gives us great promises. But if we're looking into the world, we're not going to see Him. But if we pick our focus up from this world and look up, we're rightly ready to worship and to contemplate the one we spend all of eternity with. Well, I'm going to just touch on this one point here real quick. It's just to ask the question, what methods facilitate meditating upon God's Word? Boy, this is a Pandora's box. I mean, not a Pandora's box of bad stuff, but rather a Pandora's box of great stuff. Donald Whitney in his book, The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, lists 17 different methods. And that would blow our time all the way up. So I'm not going to go there, but I'm going to give you that reference so that you can go and possibly spend some time looking through some of those. But in our time remaining, and this is our shortest point, memorizing the Word, I want to bring two things to our attention. Number one, benefits. And here again, I'm drawing pretty heavily on Donald Whitney. He lists off... uh, uh, Five different, well, he, he lists four benefits, and then there's one that I'll bring in from another source. Um, spiritual power. So we've been pretty heavily in Psalm 119, and I'm going to call your attention back to that. Psalm 119, and this, uh, we're talking about memorizing Scripture. Uh, and so way back in the day, as a new Christian, I had no clue about God's Word. But I thought, wow, I don't know anything about this. And somebody said, you ought to try and memorize some of that. And here was one of the very first verses I memorized. Psalm 119, verse 9. And I'm going to read it in the ESV because way back in the day I would have memorized in the New American Standard. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. So I was a young guy back then. I thought, wow, he's really speaking right to me. Way back then, I was 22. I was a young guy back then. And I thought, wow, this word speaks right to me. How can I keep my way pure? It says here that I should be memorizing Scripture. Storing up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. So spiritual power is one of the benefits of memorizing the word. It strengthens our faith. And I'm just going to give you two quick examples because on the morning when I was doing my prep, 
My scripture reading that morning was in uh, Proverbs 22. And there were two verses back to back that a long time ago I memorized them. And the first one was Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. It's not a blanket in every last instance. Promise airtight. It's not that. We know, and our own son is a, unfortunately a bit of an example of this. But there's a promise there. You're strengthened. Our faith, Lord, this is what we need to be doing. We do it to honor you with the hope that one day this turns to be true. And so there was some, uh, Proverbs 22.6. The very next verse tells me something completely different. The Proverbs could be one place, uh, one verse in one direction and the next verse completely in another. And the next verse says, um, the borrower becomes slave to the lender. I grew up in a home where we never had enough money. We always ran out of money before we ran out of month. And so that was the way that, that was just the way that we, we did things, borrowed. Well, the rich sit there, they got their money, and when they grab it from you, they get something called interest. And if they can come back, if you don't pay, they can repossess. And so you do become the slave to the lender. One of the other benefits, it prepares us for witnessing and counseling. And here I'm just going to read a quote from Donald Whitney in page 41 of his book. It says this, Scripture memory can prepare us for unexpected witnessing or counseling opportunities that come our way. And I can tell you through the years that I would read Scripture and sometimes right in, the, in that immediate day I had an opportunity to talk with somebody about the Lord and the very word that I was looking at that day I was able to share with them. So that doesn't always happen, but once in a while it might. And also, fourthly, it provides a means of God's guidance. Psalm 119 and verse 24, and so I'm already there, so let me just read this. Uh, Psalm 119 and verse 24, Your testimonies are my delight, they are my counselors. Wow. So, unless you think you know everything, you would want to be in the Word of God because it's going to be your counselor. It's going to help you. And then a fifth way, and here I'm going to reference another book that we have on the back of the handout. It is a book by David Mathis, Habits of Grace. Uh, and he, it stimulates meditation. So we've already spent a good section of our time this morning on meditation. But now here's where memorization actually feeds back into that point. Because when you have, when you have memorized words, have you ever found yourself and you don't have a Bible at hand? You're on your way into work and something happens and all of a sudden you're thinking about a verse of Scripture that you've memorized and then lo and behold, right there, you're encouraged to meditate on that which you don't even have. The Bible's not there, your phone's in your pocket and you've got your seatbelt on and you can't get to it, but you've memorized it. And you have an opportunity now to meditate. And David Mathis gives us the helpful reminder that we need to spend our time memorizing in light of the gospel. So, if I pick a verse like Jesus wept, and I said, yeah, I've memorized that, maybe we would wonder how are you going to use that? 
Now, you might want to talk about Jesus' compassion, and that would be a good way to use that verse. But there are going to be times you can memorize something, and you really have a very hard time applying that at any point. But when you memorize in light of the gospel, then you have something that you can share as you interact with. And then methods. How do we memorize? Has anybody ever seen this little packet? Yeah. I honestly, <laughs> Mario. I don't know if they even do this anymore. This way back in the day. Little cards, pre-printed. It was the New American Standard back then. That was, this was so far back in the last century that they didn't even have the update yet. This was the old New American Standard. But that's what I memorized in. And so I would carry this along. And you know, this was in the day when you didn't have cell phones. So you actually could be standing in a line at the store that was 20 people long, and you had a few minutes to read one of these. Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That's a gospel verse. And so I had this, and I carried it. But then something happened through the years. I got older, and I was having a harder time reading these little cards. And so then I did something else. Index card. Now I can see. And the other thing that happened was there was a point when I started using other versions. The New American Standard update came in, by the way, and in the, old, uh, the older version of the New American Standard, in the, the prayer language of Psalms, they still used thee and thou. I didn't grow up in the church, and I had no idea what thee and thou was all about. And I can tell you, I don't think it was very well received when this happened, but in the very first church that I was a part of, we used to do what were called responsive readings. And for whatever reason, they were always done in the King James. And so the leader up there is, says, and then we respond. And so in two back-to-back -back statements, we had the words wither and thither. <laughs> and as a brand new Christian, guess what I did? I laughed right out loud. <laughs> and guess what I found out after the fact? Two rows behind me were two denominational executives and they were looking at this guy. And my hair wasn't as long back then as it is now, but it was getting there. And they thought, who is this guy? And I don't know if they were already thinking about church discipline, but I laughed right out loud at wither and thither. <laughs> and now the New American Standard Update did away with those. It's not goeth, it's goes. And so the language got updated. But now I memorize sometimes in the ESV or here and there maybe NIV or maybe the CSV, and so I write these cards out. I don't even know if you can buy the little packets that I used to get back in the day. So you write out verses, and you want to memorize word perfect. And so uh, another thought, this is another practical thing. Memorize with other people. Husbands and wives, great thing to do. Memorize together, hold each other accountable. You're not married, so your circle of friends that are Christians. Get together, hold each other accountable, work together to memorize. You know, you're mentoring somebody. 
Work on scripture memorization that gives you something to do together. And then the last thing is this. Review, review, and review. You always want to do that. And I would tell you, if you're a little bit older, and I'm one of the oldest, but I don't know that I am now the oldest person in here, but I am one of the oldest people in here, at some point it becomes rather hard to do. And if you're younger, your mind is sharp, and you're able to grasp and hold on to, but not if you clutter your mind with a whole bunch of other stuff. And so what we've looked at this morning is reading the Word, meditating on the Word, memorizing the Word. What's the goal of all that? What would you say the goal of all of that is? So we can get the big head? Coming closer to God and knowing how to be a better witness to Him. Yeah. Being people to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Amber, I think that's exactly right. And these little packets of cards were put out by the Navigator Ministry. I don't know if they still do that. And way back... I think the Navigators, they have an online topical memory system so on your phone. Yeah. What about that? All the way up into the 2020s. <laughs> ah! See there? And that way you could be spiritual even if you were on your phone. <laughs> and it's interesting that you say navigators. Because... Because they're in the topical memory system. Yeah. 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 And actually, amazing for me that I'm kind of finishing on time. And I want, to, I want to close with this. So I asked the question, what's, what's the conclusion of the whole matter? And Amber put us right on track. And I want to go back to something, and I think this might still be their motto, but back when we were with Greater Europe Mission, both Greater Europe Mission and the Navigators were headquartered in Colorado. At one point, Greater Europe Mission was in the Greater Chicago area. But we were then out in uh, Colorado, and we were so close to where the Navigator headquarters were that we went over and had a look at that too. But this, all through our years in ministry, the motto of the Navigators is exactly the conclusion we want to come to. What was their motto? And I don't know if it still is, so I have to be a little, I'm a little uncertain about that. But the motto back then was this, to know Christ and to make Him known. So, if we are coming here to puff ourselves up and get the big head, be prideful about how much we know, well, at that point, we're not a lot different than the Pharisees. And brothers and sisters, if you've looked at and read the New Testament, and particularly the Gospels, the hardest words that Jesus always had were reserved for that group. So we don't ever want to be favorably compared to Pharisees. The goal of meditation, Bible intake, reading, meditating, memorizing is to know Christ and to make Him known. And to make Him known. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, here we have this morning concerned ourselves with meeting with You. To what purpose? Father, that we might know You, the one true God. Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. Father, you have called a people that were not your people, and you have made us your people. And I just pray, Lord, even right now, I, I don't actually know everybody here this morning, and if there's one here or maybe a couple that really don't know you as Lord and Savior, Father, I just would pray that they would speak to either Mario or myself or somebody that might have brought them. Father, that they too would be rescued. Lord, we still remember that word that was read there in one of the verses in Psalm 119, or actually it was in Psalm 1, that the, the end of the wicked is that they perish. Lord, we don't want anybody, we don't want anybody to have to suffer that consequence. Lord, as I read here not all that long ago, eternity is an awful long time to be wrong. And we don't want that to befall anybody, not our friends, not our family, not people that we meet along the way. But Lord, thank you. I think I know very confidently the vast majority of us here are your people, and you have given us that privilege to be called your people. And this morning we want to magnify you and give you the honor and the glory that you richly deserve. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.